good. Hopefully you are doing well. Hopefully the last week has been really helpful as you are learning to grow in your faith. I know that there are some things I put in place as well this week to help me continue to deepen my trust and my dependence of God. And this whole series, Grow, has actually was developed based on a survey we put out in the summer. We asked people, what are some things that you have questions about? What are some things you want more information about? And a theme that kept coming across is how do I grow as a Christian? How, how, do I, how do I grow in my faith, especially when circumstances that are outside of my control happen? How do, I, how do I believe? How do I continue to believe in God? So we hope that this series is helpful to you. Now, there have been um, things that I have been asked to do that I didn't think I could do. And in case you don't know me, I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid to let people down. Whether as an athlete or during internships with tasks beyond my education and experience, building our house that we live in, uh, becoming a parent, planting a church, and building this facility, all of those things at one point or another in those seasons seemed impossible. All of the things were difficult situations that I found myself in. And there were times where I failed. Like I had to go back, especially when I was younger, I had to go back and try again and again and again until I got it right. And there were times when I didn't think that I'd get to the other side. Things were too hard. People were too difficult. You ever found yourself there? Have you ever put yourself in a situation where you were not prepared for? Maybe you didn't think that you could do it? One of the things that consistently left Jesus' followers off balance was the seemingly oversized assumptions regard, regarding their abilities. He consistently put them in situations that would push them. He put them in situations that were difficult, that were trying. And they, like me, like you, have sometimes failed. They, they've failed at times. And they should have seen this coming. From the first day, Jesus was calling his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And he said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I mean, following wasn't an easy thing to do. It meant leaving their business. It meant leaving their families behind. And for Peter, it meant leaving his wife behind to follow and travel with Jesus. It was a difficult task. And then fishers of men. I mean, the ironic, the ironic thing is that night before he invited them to follow, they didn't catch anything. I mean, they failed at being fishers of fish. And now he wants them to be fishers of men? And then later on throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus pushes them out to do different things. Hey, I want you to go across the Galilee and I'll meet you on the other side. And then a storm comes. And then another situation where Jesus foretells his burial or his, his death. And Peter's like, no, we're not having any of that. That's not going to happen with you. We're going to stand in the way. It will never happen. And yet Jesus tells Peter, you'll deny even knowing me. And then... Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And they might be thinking, how is that possible? Greater? Like we can't even get to one side of the lake. 
without your help. Jesus, we've questioned you. We need to learn. We need to do in front of you. Like, you need to be here with us. And what Jesus does is he, he begins to help them understand by teaching them lessons, allowing them to be able to see things and experience things so they would be ready when he was gone. But before we get to all that, when we believe but don't do, our goals don't come true. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, God shapes those goals and desires. I mean, one of the things I want you to ask yourself over the next few weeks is, what are some goals, what are some desires I have for my faith? What, what do I want to see done through the end of this year? What are some things I want to see for myself when it comes to my faith? And for those who have yet to have faith in Jesus, you have goals too. Those goals have been shaped by parents or your, maybe your spouse, culture, desires. And we all know this to be true. I mean, this is something we all, it's an all skate. We, we fail in life because of what we do, not because we believe the right things. We fail because of what we do, not, be, not because we believe the right things. I mean, ultimately, it's doing or not doing that makes all the difference. And here's what's worse. If we believe if we believe the right things, but don't do any of those right things, then our faith's weak. Our faith's weak. Jesus' hope for his followers is that we would be characterized by a growing faith. Notice his invitation to the first followers. It wasn't believe me. It wasn't agree with me. It wasn't think highly of me. It was this, follow me. Following was doing, not just believing. Following is active, it's demanding, it's relational, it's not convenient. And over the years, it seems like we've sort of reduced it in the American church to, hey, if you believe, you're in. We don't talk about repentance anymore. It's just, you just believe and you're in. Repentance is stopping what I'm doing, stopping going the direction I'm going, and I'm turning and following Him. See, only believing and not following means that Faith's easier, it's safer, it's less demanding, more convenient. And honestly, it means no change required. His invitation to follow me was not just to believe true things so they could go to heaven when they died. But to do. Here's what's so interesting. When you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus is our king. He's our master. He's our Lord. And if we expect to spend an eternity with him as king, master, and lord, why not live that out here now? I mean, this is preparing us for eternity. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to be king. And if we, don't want to, if, we, if we don't want him to be our king now, why would we want him to be our king later? Do you know that God is most honored by our growing faith? He's most honored by our growing faith. There's going to be moments when you've seen God do some amazing things in your life. Some of you have shared some of the next steps you've taken and what God has done in your life for the last month. And we know His character. We know who He is. We know that He's loving. We know that He's just. We know that He's powerful. We know that He's faithful. But there are moments where we're praying for something or we're praying on someone else's behalf and it ain't, it ain't happening. 
It's not happening. We don't know why it's not happening. And there's a gap in between of what we're praying for that's not being delivered on and what, and what we know of God, who we know who, 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 for we know who he is. Oh, I'll get that right. Who he is. And in that gap, God is most honored when we choose to trust him. We trust him. We know who he is and we know that he is going to come through. And in this series, we're going to be answering this question. What fuels the development of our growing faith? Like, how do we get a faith that goes the distance regardless of circumstances, situations, and what people may or may not do? Like, what creates in us an unashamed faith? A faith that we're not afraid to pray with our spouse, our kids, or our coworkers. And based on what Jesus taught and what he modeled, combined with conversations with hundreds of mature Christians over the years, it seems like there are five things that God uses to grow our faith. And last week we saw practical teaching. We learned that when we apply God's word and see God faithful and honoring his word, our faith grows. We obey God. He comes through. Our trust in him deepens. All right? We got to think of faith like a muscle. Right? It's something we have to work out. We have to exercise. For it to grow, we have to work out. And today we're going to be looking at personal ministry. When people tell their stories of being a follower of Jesus, there's those times where they took a step of faith, they stepped out of their comfort zone to serve someone in need in Jesus' name. They tell how they stepped out to help in someone else's story, whether a neighbor, a school, a nonprofit, a family member, going to a different country, or maybe a stranger, or maybe their church. They took a step. And for some of us, man, we were challenged to go on a mission trip, lead a small group, volunteer on a serve team, um, give to support the local church. Every follower of Jesus experiences that nudge to step in and do something for someone. Have you ever said or heard these things? I was so nervous. I didn't think I could do it. I wasn't qualified to do it. And man, in the middle of it, I wanted to quit. In the middle of it, I was thinking there's no way anyone's going to listen to me. In the middle of it, I thought if they asked me a question, what if I don't know the answer? And at the end, man, I've heard people say this. I'm so glad that I said yes. I feel like God used me in their life. See, humility allows us to experience God's strength in our weakness. Saying yes to God for the benefit of other people grows our faith. We have no idea what's on the other side of yes. We have no idea what's on the other side of yes. See, Jesus is about to stretch the faith of his disciples. So going back to Jesus, uh, he, he got word from the disciples about his cousin. Now, his cousin John was executed and buried so with the news, Jesus gets on a boat and leaves the crowd to be alone. I mean, think about it for a second. Your cousin, who you grew up with, you're very close to, is killed when Herod makes a promise when he's inebriated. Not only has he had been executed, but he's already been buried. You missed the funeral. Imagine the grief that Jesus is experiencing when the crowd begins to follow. He landed at a remote area. As they're there, he has sympathy for them as they follow him all the way around. And then he begins to heal those in need. 
as evening comes, the disciples come over to Jesus and, all right, let's sort of send everyone home. We need a dinner break. We can kind of do this thing tomorrow, but everyone sort of needs to go because we don't have food for everybody. And it seems that they didn't see things or they didn't see things the way that Jesus saw things. He saw the situation entirely differently than they did. And how often does that happen with you and me? Right? We're able to see a situation and maybe because we're in the deep of it, we're, the, we're, in the, we're in the trenches, we're in the weeds. And we're seeing things through our human eyes, our human perspective. And then someone else who's filled with the Spirit tells us, man, I don't see things that way. I, I see things a little differently. What if you do this? I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me where someone else comes and sees things through the Spirit's perspective and not their earthly perspective. Notice what Jesus tells them. They don't need to go away. They don't need to go home. You give them something to eat. Jesus wanted everyone to eat together. It was a symbol of unity. Man, they had a good thing going that day. Let's continue by eating together. There's something special about eating a good meal with people you care about that can help with grief. And and I don't know, like sort of like your background, but for me, growing up in Pennsylvania, we we had a unique way of grief, of doing funerals where we would basically take over the the funeral home for a couple of days and family from all over would come in and we would just spend time in the funeral home all day long. We're eating all day long. We're spending time, we're telling stories all day long. And it helps with grief. And Jesus invites them to be part of the solution. And to them, man, this seemed impossible. Like, man, there's a lot of people here and we can't really find any food. And here's here's what's so interesting. John's account mentions that Jesus did this as a test of them. Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to stretch their faith. And so, after looking around, they found a kid who had it at lunch. All right, Jesus, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. This is all we can find. And listen, obviously, Jesus, the crowd wasn't expecting to be around. I mean, they lost track of time as they were watching you do some pretty amazing things to their family, to their friends, to their neighbors. I mean, no one planned to be out here until dinner time with you. And that's the thing, man. There, there's something to be said with being in the presence of God as time is different. In the presence of God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. There's something about being in the presence of God. And again, this seems to be like an impossible situation. There's no way this Happy Meal is going to feed 5,000 people. Jesus, we did what we could. We just found, we just found this lunch. It's not enough. He says, bring the five loaves of bread and the two fish to me. Well, you, 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 you want his lunch? I mean, okay. I mean, how many of them were thinking about what he's done before? Turning water into wine, the healings, the exorcisms. How many were thinking that they'd have another man of miracle like what happened in Exodus 16 or Elisha using 20 loaves of bread to feed 100 people with plenty of leftover in 2 Kings 4? I mean, I mean were they thinking about those stories? Was that on their mind? I mean, let's make it personal. We all have something to offer Jesus. We all have something to offer him. And, and maybe, maybe for some of us, we have more loaves and fish than others, but we all have something to offer him. What are the things that you have to offer him? Time, money, skills. 
And then he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. See, Jesus gave thanks as most Jews would before every meal. And it went something like this. Blessed be thou, O Lord our God, the King of the world who produced bread from the earth. Jesus received what they gave him. Now notice, he then gave them back to the disciples who then gave the bread and the fish to the people. They were a conduit from start to finish of this miracle. They did what they knew how to do, which was gather. And they trusted Jesus to do what only he could do. Let's make it personal. When we give back to God, he uses it for his purposes. We become a conduit for a miracle. When we say yes to him and we do what only we can do and he does what only he can do, we are a conduit for a miracle. And they all ate and they were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Now, did you notice that one basket per disciple? I I believe that it happened so they wouldn't forget it. There was satisfaction. There was a fulfillment for trusting God to do what only he could do. And do you know what Jesus did next? Jesus tells them to get on the boat, meet them on the other side. And of course, they weren't able to do it. Storm comes. And he's hoping, he's hoping that they would remember and connect the dots from this lesson of the loaves and the fish. He's trying to teach them to do what they can do and trust him to do what he can do. And Peter, he got the whole point of the miracle by walking on water. So what do we do now? See, our takeaway this morning as a follower of Jesus is, I'll do what I can do and trust God to do what only he can do. And this is living by faith. This is the walk that grows our faith. And the thing that is stopping us in all of this from saying yes and doing what God is asking us to do is pride. And remember, humility allows us to experience God's strength and our weakness. The first step is to say yes and bring him what we can and watch him to do what only he can do. If you and I want to grow in faith, we have to say yes to him and offer what you and I have to him. That the people who said yes and did what they could do are people that we remember. It's personal to us, right? God used some people who said yes to him and they influenced our lives. They served us along the way. They helped us along the way. They led us along the way. And the people who said no, they didn't do what they could do and trust God what only he could do. They are people we do not remember. We know the people who said yes and it affected our life personally. It reminds me of this story. And I, I put this message together about four to five weeks ago. So I had no idea what was going to happen on Tuesday. Uh, Mr. Sam Rayburn was Speaker of the House longer than any other man in our history. And there's a story about him that reveals the kind of man he really was. The teenage daughter of a friend of his died suddenly one night. Early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door and he opened it. There was the Speaker. So I came by to see what I could do to help. The father replied in his deep grief, I don't think there's anything you can do. 
We are making all the arrangements. Well, Mr. Rayburn said, have you had your coffee this morning? And Mamma replied that they, they hadn't taken time to eat breakfast. So Mr. Rayburn said that he could at least make coffee for them. While he was working in the kitchen, getting the coffee going, the man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I, I thought you were supposed to be having breakfast at the White House this morning. He said, well, yeah, I was. But I called the president and told him that I had a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come. So who will you affect by saying yes to God? And that should be personal to you. There are two questions to think about. What is one tangible thing keeping you from saying yes to God? What is one tangible thing keeping you from saying yes to God? And then, why is it important to serve in the local church? Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful for the scriptures. We're so thankful. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are incredibly thankful for all that you do. We're thankful that you provide us the scriptures so we're able to know not just who you are, but what you expect of us. You expect us to say yes to you. You expect us to be obedient to you. You expect us to give you and offer to you what you can use. And then we watch to see what only you can do. For those in the room who have a lot of questions about, about Jesus, and maybe they're yet, um, yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, I ask that they would see who Jesus is. Through all the things that we read this morning, they would be able to see that Jesus is king. He's a king who died for them so they could receive forgiveness of their sins and be set free. I ask that they would see Jesus as that and they would accept him. Father, help us throughout this week to say yes to you. Help us to be that person that says yes and that affects other people's lives. Help us maybe get a glimpse of what saying yes to, to you might look like. In Jesus' name, amen.